0: When I first started doing this work, uh, you know, full time and being in lots of school districts, what I often found was anger. I mean, I almost felt that I needed a, a, a coat of armor to, to, you know, to get through a
1: presentation. <laughs> Welcome to Teachy 2 cast I'm Arthur Caravelli, co-founder of Teachers Going Gradeless. In this episode, I interview Ken O'Connor. Ken is an independent consultant who specializes in issues related to sound assessment, grading, and reporting practices. Through his books and articles, presentations, and consulting, Ken helps individuals and schools find better ways to communicate student learning. Many educators consider Ken one of the first to introduce them to the idea that traditional grades are broken and that a better approach is possible. Just recently, he published the fourth edition of his seminal book, How to Grade for Learning. Hello, Ken, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you, Arthur. And thank you for involving me in this podcast. Ken, uh, as I mentioned before, I I think many of us really look to you as one of the first who started us thinking along these lines, you know, that traditional grades are broken. I know when I saw you back in 2005, your presentation turned my practice upside down in a good way. I think I knew just from my experiences as a teacher that uh, teachers employed a vast idiosyncratic array of grading scales, weights, late policies, et cetera, but I didn't realize the adverse effect. That all those common practices had on teaching and learning. And I think you were one of the first people, you were the first person who opened my eyes to the fact that the primary purpose of grades is to communicate learning and that anything else is muddying the waters. So I just wanted to, first of all, thank you for that, that that was just a real big turning point in my career.
0: Well, I'm glad that happened. And, you uh, know, I, mean, I think a, a huge problem that, you know, grades have been such a hodgepodge of factors and so they really didn't
1: mean very much at all. Yes, and, and just uh, I hadn't even thought about that actually before your presentation. So thank you for that. I, I've just kind of scraped the surface of your incredibly impressive biography. Are there any other points that you would highlight in terms of some of your experiences that have led you to this point? Yeah.
0: Well, I'd I'd like to start by d- saying that I you know I was a high school teacher. I spent twenty three years teaching from grade seven to grade twelve. Um, so. Uh, I did a lot of grading and I did a lot of it badly. Mm-hmm. And I then became a curriculum coordinator for a large school district, uh, 85,000 students, and a significant part of my responsibilities for assessment and evaluation. And focusing on that, I gradually got more and more interested in, in grading. And way back in... April of two thousand and four, I read an article about grading that was written by a college professor uh, that I thought made very little sense. So I I wrote a short letter of criticism to the editor of the. It was the NAACP, the National Association of Secondary School Principals Bulletin, and Mm. she said, "If you have some ideas, why don't you write an article?" Well, at that Mm. point, I was only into criticizing, and. Mm -hmm. Then about six months later, she sent me uh, responses by the professor to my criticisms, which I thought made even less sense than the original article. (laughs) And again, she said, why don't you write an article? Well, twice challenged, I felt I had to respond. And so that was when I I first developed uh, the eight guidelines for grading that are the basis of how to grade for learning. So that was really back over the Christmas new year period, almost 20 years ago, I guess. And so this has been the focus for what I've done for a long period of time. And I'm really pleased to see that there's been, I think, a lot of change. And in many ways, I think the pace of change, especially at the secondary level, is increasing, which is very
1: encouraging to see. Oh, that is very encouraging. Now when you did that that was were you in Australia at that point or were you in Canada? No. You started out your career in Australia okay. is that correct? Yeah,
0: I started teaching in Australia a long long time ago over 50 years mm-hmm. ago um, and then I moved to Canada um, and so the most most of my career and most of my life now has been in Toronto, Canada.
1: okay. And when you began, and and I believe you transitioned in kind of a curriculum director role after you were a teacher. Is that correct? Yeah,
0: I was at what we called in my district a curriculum coordinator. We basically okay. had a subject responsibility and a cross-curricular responsibility.
1: Uh, so one other thing, and actually it's kind of an incidental thing, I know that you you coached field hockey actually. That was kind of an important part of your career and that you've actually had an opportunity to do a little more of that recently. And, and I know that a lot of teachers talk about this, but do you think some of your experiences as a coach have informed Uh, some of the concepts around pedagogy and assessment
0: absolutely I I, yeah I I mean field hockey is my lifetime sport I started playing it when I was 11 years old and I'm still involved in doing umpire coaching and evaluation Uh, and I was fortunate at one point to have some pretty good teams and Mm -hmm. we went Uh, one year, we lost in the semifinals of the provincial championship. The next year, we lost in the final. The next two years, we won. And so, as a coach, that was a really interesting process in trying to find what were the little things that, I mean, we had everything we needed. It was just a matter of finding the little things that got us from making it to the final and then from losing the final to winning the final twice. And one of the things that I did was I had the students, do, the players, do a lot of self-evaluation, um, actually in writing, so that they really they weren't just saying they they really had to think about it, and I gave them a lot of written feedback uh, on their performance, and I genuinely believe, and I mean I have not, I can't prove this, but I genuinely believe that. That was maybe the single thing that made the biggest difference that moved, moved us to being able to win for a couple of years. And what I realized afterwards mm. was that I was really involving the students in the process in a way that I never did in the classroom. And, and I, So yeah. I, I think in many ways, I was a far better coach than I was a teacher. And I, I wish I'd realized that earlier because I could have done that more in the classroom to the benefit of my students.
1: I want to start opening opening the door, you know, for anyone who is just like entering into this conversation kind of at an introductory level or, you know, and, and hopefully progress to some more kind of advanced concepts. But first of all, why do you think it is important that we shift our grading practices? What's at stake? I guess you can think as, as large or as small as you want, or we talk educationally, societally, or otherwise. Well, I mean, the big picture for me is that I think generally speaking
0: high schools have done a really good job of getting students into college uh, the, mm-hmm. the grading process the assessment the learning process has been such that students uh, learn a fair bit and they they get grades that are good enough to get them in, into in most cases the college that they want to go to or at least in the top three or four i think the problem with that was that school was about accumulating points The more points that the student got, the better their grade, whether it said much are learning about not or not. And the result of that has been really two things, I think. One is the huge number of students who have to do remedial courses in their first year in college. And secondly, the horrendous failure rate uh, in the first year of, of college, because we got them into college, but we didn't really prepare them to be successful in college, because in college they're far more independent than they are in high school, and so it seems to me our job as high school educators is, uh, and it obviously working its way up from the earlier age, is to prepare students as uh, self-directed, reflective learners. And and I don't think mm. traditional grading does that. But if we're if we're doing high quality assessment, if students are getting good descriptive feedback, and uh, ultimately, because we have to certify, if they, they get grades that are an accurate reflection of their achievement, then I think uh, that prepares those students not only to get into college, but to be successful in college.
1: You know, as I when I first encountered your ideas, I was teaching in an alternative school, and this is kind of one of my whys, is that First of all, in addition to students not really developing that reflective aspect and that ability to kind of um, regulate their own learning, uh, teaching in an alternative school, I saw that a lot of these burdens of traditional grading were falling disproportionately on marginalized and otherwise vulnerable students, uh, that that the students who didn't have uh, maybe the college-educated uh, parents, the clean workspace, et cetera, and so forth, those were the students who were suffering the most at the hands of grading practices. I wonder if any of that factors in as well. Yeah,
0: I would agree completely, because it is those students who um, sometimes uh, don't exhibit all the behaviours that we would like but in fact achieve well uh, and so their grades were deflated by including behaviours I think those students are often the students that for various reasons have trouble completing homework, doesn't say anything about whether they know or understand so the what I think is the horrible practice of including homework in grades, uh, has both of those things have really very much acted against those students in particular, and then you add that add that to averaging to that, so that you know every bad every right. bad performance that they have, even if it's only a few, because averaging emphasizes is skewed by the extremes. Then averaging really acts against those students as well.
1: out you mentioned this a little bit when you look out at the landscape since you first uh, wrote some of those first editions of your books how to grade for learning a repair kit for grading was uh, the first one that i had read do you think that things are changing at all do you think that uh, we've gone to a point where we can point to some encouraging signs, people being open to these ideas
0: i i really do believe we can i mean i think that there's um and it's i think it's fair to say that uh improved grading practices, whatever you want to call it, evidence-based, standards-based, whatever we want to call it, is now pretty much the norm at the elementary level in North America right. and in international schools. It's becoming increasingly common in middle schools. And it, I think now is really making inroads into, into high schools. At the high school level, what I often found was anger. I mean, I almost felt that I needed a, a, a coat of armour to, to, you know, to get through a presentation. Um, but over the last, uh, probably at least ten years. That, that has changed. I very rarely get the anger now. What I get is, yeah, people challenge the ideas, which is absolutely fine. That's what should happen. But it's far more rational. Right. It's not people just sounding off and being angry. And I think that in itself is progress um, because I think generally uh, teachers have become more reflective. I mean, I will admit that I was not a very reflective practitioner because it was not something that mm. we did way back then. And the other thing is I think we can point to lots of places Where it's happening. I mean, it's become pretty common, for example, um, in parts of Iowa. But maybe the most promising, and there are pockets across the US, um, there are pockets in in Canada. One of the things that I see as most encouraging and, and somewhat in some ways surprising is that so many of the independent schools and the international schools that we used to think of as being the most traditional in fact, are the schools that have picked right. this up most. Um, but I think the other thing that's so encouraging is the the move to proficiency-based or competency-based uh, graduation requirements, particularly in the New England states.
1: Very good. Now, now, obviously, teachers going gradeless is not exactly regularly promoting standards-based grading and learning. Many of us come from that viewpoint and kind of maintain that viewpoint. Uh, you let me be in your book. So I just I'm wondering, what is it that you see? And you talk about this in some of the latter chapters of your book, maybe the last chapter. What do you see in some of these more radical approaches that make sense inside the larger context of sound grading practices? I,
0: I think, you know, the the basic approach, uh, as I understand it, from following on your uh, Facebook group, and, and sometimes in the Twitter chats, that The basic ideas are are, are the right ideas that what we need to be emphasizing is descriptive feedback uh, and involving students in the process. uh, And then by whatever, and I guess where I have the biggest difficulty, so I I, I think we're really on this, we're certainly in the same book, certainly I would say in the same chapter, (laughs) we may not be on the same page. Uh, But I I, I mean, as you, I think you've heard me say this before, Your group is called Teachers Going Gradeless. I make a a distinction between scores and grades. Scores for me are what we put on individual pieces of student assessment evidence. Grades are the summary symbols on report cards. So the way I look at it is your group, for the most part, is actually teachers going scoreless, not gradeless, because most of you are in schools or school districts that ultimately require you to have a grade on the student's report card. Most of the people or a lot of the people in teachers going gradeless have – that is a very student-involved process. Very often the students determining the grade and the teacher then having some dialogue, uh, either agreeing or maybe having some conversation that says, well, are you sure that's right? And except for the fact that I really believe that it's the teacher's professional responsibility to determine grades – Um, I have no difficulty with that because I think you're you're emphasizing the right things. And so those that are not going gradeless, what I emphasize is the importance of the descriptive feedback, the importance of de-emphasizing grades, the importance of having a limited number of summative assess high quality summative assessments. Uh, and so that you have a, a learning process where there's lots of opportunity for making mistakes, getting it wrong, cycling through that teaching learning process before we get to the point where we say, okay, uh, because we have to certify, whether we like it or not, now we're going to find out what you know, understand, or couldn't do. We're going to put a score on that, and we're going to summarize those scores for a grade. And so really, as I see it, the only difference is you don't don't put the scores
1: on, but everything else is Mm -hmm. basically the same, isn't it? It it pretty much is, and I think we we point to some of the people like William and Black and Ruth Butler and now Joe Bowler to a certain extent where we really want to put that emphasis on diagnostic feedback for as long as possible, Uh, the idea being when you get that grade or that score or that mark – on the paper, the comments basically are not effective at that point. Is what some of the research at least points to.
0: But I, I, to me, especially when you say Butler, I mean Butler's research showed that if we put comments and scores, um, the students ignore uh, the comments. And so, to me, what right. to me what that's really relative relevant to is the formative assessment process that. When I'm doing formative assessment, whatever that is, whether it's product, whether it's observation, whether it's conversation, it should be no mark comment only. And so I get quite upset when Mm -hmm. I see schools and school districts saying, we're doing standards based or we're doing evidence based grading, and it's 30% formative, 70% summative. I don't believe you're doing standards based grading. You're not doing effective grading practices. If you are putting any score on any formative assessment. Where we may differ is that I do think it's appropriate to put scores for standards, not overall scores for an assessment, scores for standards on a summative assessment. But that needs to be done within the context of multiple opportunities for assessment. So we should be developing as much as we can within a time defined system that nothing is ever over. And and it's only over when we come to our arbitrarily defined ends and except when a kid graduates Those ends are are not really ends at all because we can go on in the next semester.
1: Talk to us a little bit about the new edition of your book, How to Grade for Learning. What are some of the new features readers can look out for? Personally, I love it. I, I particularly love the educator contributions, uh, just really fleshing out so many of those ideas that you've exposed us to. It. it's nice to see. I really feel kind of um, almost like a next generation of people uh, going on with so many of these ideas.
0: Well, I'm very pleased that you see it that way. I mean, I believe when you do a new edition of a book, there has to be some value added. It shouldn't just be the previous mm-hmm. edition with, with a few changes. And so what I came up with as what I think and what you've just confirmed is the value added piece was the idea of having um, – Educators from all around the world put in contributions, and there are 48 contributions from I think 43 different people uh, from the U.S., from Canada, from international schools, and, and I really believe, as you just said, that that adds a lot of value, and they're in almost every uh, one of the chapters in the book. So basically, the basic structure of the book: there's introduction where I look at a lot of the factors that have led us to to where we are, Um, some of the stuff about growth mindset and those types of things. And then there are eight chapters, each of which deal with one of the guidelines for grading. Um, And they all except one of them have uh, educator contributions in them. Then chapter nine deals with some specific grading issues like how do we grade exceptional students, some of the legal issues, uh, the move to competency proficiency based and some of the external influences on grading like college admission and athletic eligibility. Um, chapter 10 is about communicating achievements so it really focuses on the role of report cards and a, a comprehensive communication system. Um, chapter 11 is about implementing changes in grading practice and basically that's not me at all that's basically eight uh, contributions from educators around the world, different levels, Uh, somebody now that's a superintendent, although she wasn't when she wrote it, uh, principals of schools, teachers in terms of what's worked and what hasn't worked in terms of implementing grading change. Uh, And then I do a brief synthesis of that, what I saw as being the main ideas when you looked at all eight of them. And then the last chapter is what I call the way ahead. Um, I talk about de-emphasising traditional grades, about demystifying the grading process, focusing on learning, focusing on the progress of the individual student. And then what I think is a really cutting-edge thing and what I'm very excited about is the idea of competency-based transcripts. And I have a couple of examples, one from the Champlain Valley Union High School District in Vermont, and then the the Mastery Transcript Organization, which, uh, as you know, I'm sure is a group of Over 100, uh, mostly American, now quite a lot of international school, private schools who are looking at a very
1: different type of transcript. And that's basically the book very cool I think I talk I speak for so many of us in saying that it's just we're we're so grateful for the, the difference that you've made in all of our teaching careers so thank you so well, much for talking thank you us Arthur today.
0: and thank you for the opportunity and again I'd like to emphasize that I really think that uh, teachers going gradeless and the ideas that I put forward absolutely in the same chapter even if we're not on the same page
1: absolutely I agree okay. Ken O'Connor joined me today. Please pick up his new edition of How to Grade for Learning. It's excellent. That concludes today's episode of TG2Cast. If you'd like more information, check out our website at TeachersGoingGradeless.com, our Facebook group, Teachers Going Gradeless, or you can follow us on Twitter at TG2Chat. Please subscribe to the podcast and catch future installments of TG2Cast. Thanks for listening.